0: Allan Austin, as nervous as a kitten, went up certain dark and creaky stairs in the neighborhood of Pell Street, and peered about for a long time on the dime landing before he found the name he wanted written obscurely on one of the doors. He pushed open the door, as he had been told to do, and found himself in a tiny room which contained no furniture but a plain kitchen table, a rocking chair, and an ordinary chair on one of the dirty buff-colored walls were a couple of shelves, containing in all perhaps a dozen bottles and jars. An old man sat in the rocking chair reading a newspaper. Alan, without a word, handed him the card he had been given. Sit down, Mr. Austin, said the old man very politely. I'm glad to make your acquaintance. Is it true, asked Allan. that you have a certain mixture that has, er, quite extraordinary effects? My dear sir, replied the old man, "'My stock and trade is not very large. "'I don't deal in laxatives and teething mixtures. "'But such as it is, it is varied. "'I think nothing I sell has effect "'which could be precisely described as ordinary.' "'Well, the fact is,' began Alan. "'Here, for example,' interrupted the old man, "'reaching for a bottle from the shelf. "'Here is a liquid as colorless as water.' almost tasteless, quite imperceptible in coffee, wine, or any other beverage. It is also quite imperceptible to any known method of autopsy. Do you mean it is a poison? cried Alan. Very much horrified. Call it a glove cleaner if you like, said the old man indifferently. Maybe it will clean gloves, I've never tried. One might call it a life cleaner. Lives need cleaning sometime. I want nothing of that sort, said Alan. Probably it is just as well, said the old man. Do you know the price of this? For one teaspoonful, which is sufficient, I ask five hundred dollars. Never less, not a penny less. I hope all your mixtures are not as expensive, said Alan apprehensively. Oh dear no, said the old man. It would be no good charging that sort of price for a love potion, for example. Young people who need a love potion very seldomly have five thousand dollars. Otherwise, they would not need a love potion. I'm glad to hear that, said Alan. I look at it like this, said the old man. Please a customer with one article, and he will come back when he needs another. Even if it is more costly, he will save up for it if necessary. So, said Alan, you really do sell love potions? If I did not sell love potions, said the old man, reaching for another bottle, I should not have mentioned the other matter to you. It is only when one is in a position to oblige that one can afford to be so confidential. And these potions, said Alan, they are not just er... Oh no, said the old man, their effects are permanent and extend far beyond the mere casual impulse but they include it oh yes they include it bountifully insistently everlastingly dear me said alan attempting a look of scientific detachment how very interesting but consider the spiritual side said the old man i do indeed said alan for indifference said the old man they substitute devotion for scorn admiration give one tiny measure of this to the young lady its flavor is imperceptible, in orange juice super or cocktails, and however gay and giddy she is, she will change altogether, she will want nothing but solitude in you, I can hardly believe it, said Alan, she is so fond of parties, she will not like them anymore, said the old man, she will be afraid of the pretty girls you may meet, she will actually be jealous, cried Alan in rapture, of me, yes, she will want to be everything to you, she is already, only she doesn't care about it, she will, when she has taken this, she will care intensely, you will be her sole interest in life, wonderful, cried Alan, she will want to know all you do, said the old man, all that has happened to you during the day, every word of it, she will want to know what you are thinking about, why you smile suddenly, why you are looking sad, that is love, cried Alan, yes, said the old man, how carefully she will look after you, she will never allow you to be tired, to sit in a drought, to neglect your food, If you are an hour late, she will be terrified. She will think you are killed, or that some siren has caught you. I can hardly imagine Diana like that, cried Alan, overwhelmed with joy. You will not have to use your imagination, said the old man. And by the way, since there are always sirens, if by any chance you should later on, slip a little. You need not worry. She will forgive you. In the end, she will be terribly hurt, of course. But she will forgive you in the end. That will not happen, said Alan fervently. Of course not, said the old man, but if it did, you need not worry. She would never divorce you. Oh no, and of course she will never give you the very least grounds for uneasiness. And how much, said Alan, is this wonderful mixture? It is not as dear, said the old man, as the glove cleaner, or life cleaner as I sometimes call it. No, that is five thousand dollars, never a penny less. One has to be older than you are to indulge in that sort of thing. One has to save up for it but the love potion said alan oh that said the old man opening up the drawer in the kitchen table and taking out a tiny rather dirty looking vial. that is just a dollar i can't tell you how grateful i am said Allan, watching him fill it i like to oblige said the old man then customers come back later in life when they are better off and want more expensive things here you are you will find it very effective thank you again said alan goodbye au revoir said the man I had seen the magic shop from afar several times. I had passed it once or twice, a shop window of alluring little objects magic balls, magic hens, wonderful cones, ventriloquist dolls, the material of the basket trick, packs of cards that looked all right, and all that sort of thing. But never had I thought of going in, until one day, almost without warning, Gip hauled me by my finger right up to the window, and so conducted himself, that there was nothing for it but to take him in i had not thought the place was there to tell the truth a modest sized frontage in regent street between the picture shop and the place where the chicks run about just out of patent incubators there it was sure enough i had fancy it was down nearer the circus or round the corner in oxford street or even in holborn always over the way and a little inaccessible it had been with something of the mirage In its position but here it was now quite indisputably and the fat end of gip's pointing finger made a noise upon the glass if i was rich said gip dabbing a finger at the disappearing egg i'd buy myself that and that which was the crying baby very human in that which was a mystery and called so a neat card asserted by one in astonishing your friends anything said gip will disappear under one of those cones I have read about it in a book, and there, data in the vanishing halfpenny. only they've put it this way up, so as we can't see how it's done. Gip, dear boy, inherits his mother's breeding, and he did not propose to enter the shop, or worry in any way, only you know, quite unconsciously, he lugged my finger doorward, and made his interest clear, that he said, and pointed to the magic bottle, if you had that, I said which promising inquiry he looked up with a sudden radiance i could show it to jesse he said thoughtful as ever of others it's less than a hundred days to your birthday gibbles i said and laid my hand on the door handle gibb made no answer but his grip tightened but his grip tightened on my finger and so we came into the shop it was no common shop this it was a magic shop and all the prancing precedence gibb would have taken in the matter of mere toys was wanting he left the burden of the conversation on me it was a little narrow shop not very well lit and the doorbell pinged again with a plaintive note as we closed it behind us for a moment or so we were alone and could glance about us there was a tiger in the paper mache on the glass case that covered the low counter a grave kind-eyed tiger had that waggled his head in a methodical manner there were several crystal spheres a china hand holding magic cards a stock of magic fishbowls at various scenes, and an immodest magic hat that shamelessly displayed its springs. On the floor were magic mirrors, one to draw you out long and thin, one to swell your head and vanish your legs, and one to make you short and fat like a drought. And while we were laughing at these, the shopman, as I supposed, came in. At any rate, there he was, behind the counter, a curious, sallow, dark man, with one ear larger than the other, and a chin like a toe cap of a boot. "'What can we have the pleasure?' he said, spreading his long magic fingers on the glass case. And so with a start we were aware of him. "'I want,' I said, "'to buy my little boy a few simple tricks.' "'Legendomain?' he asked. "'Mechanical? Domestic?' "'Anything amusing?' said I. Hm, said the shopman, and scratched his head for a moment as if thinking. Then quite distinctly he drew from his head a glass ball. "'Something in this way,' he said, and held it out. The action was unexpected. I had seen the trick done at entertainments endless times before. It's part of the common stock of conjurers, but I had not expected it. That's good, I said with a laugh. Isn't it? said the shopman. Gibbs stretched out his disengaged hand to take the object and found merely a blank palm. It's in your pocket, said the shopman, and there it was. How much will it be? I asked. We make no charge for glass balls, said the shopman politely. We get them. He picked out. He picked one out of his elbow as he spoke free he produced another from the back of his neck and laid it beside its predecessor on the counter gip regarded his glass ball sagely then directed a look of inquiry at the two on the counter and finally brought his round-eyed scrutiny to the shopman who smiled you may have those too said the shopman and if you don't mind one from my mouth gip counselled me mutely for a moment and then in profound silence put away the four balls resumed my reassuring finger and nerved himself for the next event. We get all our smaller tricks in that way, the shopman remarked. I laughed in the manner of one who subscribes to a jest. Instead of going to the wholesale shop, I said, of course it's cheaper. In a way, said the shopman, that we pay in the end, but not so heavily as people suppose. Our larger tricks and our daily provisions, and all the other things we want, we get out of that hat. And you know, sir, if you'll excuse my saying it, there isn't a wholesale shop not for genuine magic goods. Sir, I don't know if you noticed, our inscription, the genuine magic shop. He drew a business card from his cheek and handed it to me. Genuine, he said with a finger on the word, and added there is absolutely no deception, sir. He seemed to be carrying out the joke pretty thoroughly, I thought. He turned to Gip with a smile of remarkable affability. You, you know you are the right sort of, you, you know you are the right sort of boy. I was surprised at his knowing that, because in the interests of discipline, we keep it rather secret, even at home, but Gip received in an unflinching silence, keeping a steadfast eye on him, it's only the right sort of boy gets through that doorway, and as if by way of illustration, there came a rattling at the door, and a squeaking little voice could be heard faintly, Nyar, I want to go in there, data, I want to go in there, Nyar and then the accents of a downtrodden parent, urging consolation and propitations, it's locked, Edward, he said, but it isn't said i it is sir said the shopman always for that sort of child. always for that sort of child and he spoke we had a glimpse of the other youngster a little white-faced pallid from sweet eating and over sapped food and distorted by evil passions a ruthless little egotist pawing at the enchanted pain it's no go- good sir said the shopman as i moved with my natural helpfulness doorward, and, pre- and presently the spoilt, spoilt child was carried off howling. How do you manage that, I said, breathing a little more freely. Magic, said the shopman, with a careless wave of the hand, and behold, sparks of colored fire flew out of his fingers and vanished into the shadows of the shop. You were saying, he said, addressing himself toward Gip, before you came in that you would like to buy you would like one of our buy one and astonish your friends boxes gip after a gallon effort said yes it's in your pocket and leaning over the counter he realized he really had an extraordinarily long body this amazing person produced the article in the customary conjurer's manner paper he said and took a sheet out of that empty hat with the springs and behold his mouth was a string box from which he drew an unending thread which when he had tied his parcel he bit off and it seemed to me swallowed the ball of string and then he lit a candle at the nose of one of the ventriloquist's dummies, stuck one of his fingers, which had become sealing-wax red, into the flame, and so sealed the parcel. Then there was the disappearing egg, he remarked, and produced one from within my coat-breast and packed it. Also the crying baby, very human. I handed each parcel to Gip as it was ready, and he clasped them to his chest. He said very little, but his eyes were eloquent. The clutch of his arms was eloquent. And he was the playground of ex- unex- he was the playground of unspeakable emotions. These, you know, were real magics. Then, with a start, I discovered something moving about in my hat—something soft and jumpy. I whipped it off, and a ruffled pigeon, no doubt a confederate, dropped out and ran on the counter and went. I fancy into a cardboard box behind the papier-mâché tiger. Tut tut," said the shopman, dexterously relieving me of my headdress. Careless bird, and as I live, nesting he shook my hat and shook out into his extended hand two or three eggs a large marble a watch and about half a dozen of the inevitable glass balls and then crumpled crinkled paper more and more and more taking all the time of the way taking all the time of the way in which people neglect to brush their hats inside as well as out politely of course but with all certain personal application all sorts of things accumulate sir not you of course in particular nearly every customer, astonishing what they carry about with them. The crumpled paper rose and billed on the counter more and more, until he was nearly hidden from us, until he was altogether hidden, and still his voice went on and on. We, none of us know what the fair semblance of a human may, none of us know what the fair semblance of a human being may conceal, sir, or we all then know better than brushed exteriors and whited sepulchres? His voice stopped, exactly like when you hit a neighbor's gramophone with a well-aimed brick. The same instant silence, and the rustle of the paper stopped, and everything was still. Have you done with my hat, I said, after an interval? There was no answer. I stared at Gip, and Gip stared at me, and there were our distortions in the magic mirrors, looking very rum and grave and quiet. I think we'll go now, I said. Will you tell me how much all this comes to? I say, I said, on a rather louder note, I want the bill and my hat, please. It might have been a sniff from behind the paper pile. Let's look behind the counter, Gip, I said. He's making fun of us. I laid Gip round the head-wagging tiger. And what do you think there was behind the counter? No one at all. Only my hat on the floor and a common conjurer's lop-eared white rabbit lost in meditation. And looking as stupid, as stupid and crumbled as only a conjurer's rabbit can do. I resumed my hat, lollop de lollop or so, out of my way. Dada, said Gip in a guilty whisper. What is it, Gip? said I. I do like this shop, Dada. Eh? So should I, I said to myself, if the counter wouldn't suddenly extend itself to shut one off from the door. But I didn't call Gip's attention to that. Pussy, he said with a hand out to the rabbit, as it came lolloping past us. Pussy, do Gip a magic, and his eye had followed it, as it squeezed through a door. I had certainly not remarked a moment before. Then the store opened wider, and the man with one ear larger than the other appeared again. He was smiling. He was smiling still, but his eyes met mine with something between amusement and defiance. You'd like to see our so- our showroom, sir, he said, with an innocent suavity. Gip tugged my finger forward. I glanced at the counter and met the shopman's eye again. I was beginning to think the magic was just was just a little too genuine. We haven't very much time, I said, but somehow we were inside the showroom before I could finish that. "'All goods of the same quality,' said the shopman, rubbing his fle- his flexible hands together. "'And that is the best. Nothing in this place that isn't genuine magic, and warranted thoroughly rum.' "'Excuse me, sir?' I felt him, <clears throat> I felt him pulling at something that clung to my coat sleeve, and then I saw he held a little wriggling red demon by the tail. The little creature bit and fought, and tried to get at his hand, and in a moment he tossed it carelessly behind the counter.' no doubt the thing was only an image of twisted indiana india rubber but for the moment and his gesture was exactly that of a man who handles some petty biting bit of petty biting bit of vermin i glanced at gip but gip was looking at a magic rocking horse i was glad he hadn't seen the thing i say i said in an undertone indicating gip and the red demon with my eyes you haven't many things like that about have you none of ours probably brought it with you said the shopman also in an undertone, and with a more dazzling smile than ever. Astonishing what people will carry about with them, unawares. And then to Gip. Do you see anything you fancy here? There were many things that Gip fancied here. He turned to this astonishing tradesman, with a mingled confidence and respect. Is that a magic sword, he said. A magic toy sword. It neither bends, breaks, nor cuts the finger. It renders the bearer invincible in battle against anyone under eighteen half a crown to seven and sixpence according to size, these panoplies on the cards are for juvenile knights, errant and very useful, shield of safety, sandals of swiftness, helmet of invisibility, oh daddy, gasped Gip, I tried to find out what they cost, but the shopman did not heed me, he had Gip now, it got him away from my finger, and he had embarked upon the exposition of all his confounded stock, nothing was going to stop him, Presently I saw, with a a qualm of distrust, something very like jealousy, that Gip had hold of this person's finger as usually he had hold of mine. No doubt the fellow was interesting, I thought, and had an interestingly faked lot of stuff, but really good fake stuff, still. I wandered after them, saying very little, but keeping an eye on on this prestidigital fellow. After all, Gip was enjoying it, and no doubt when the time came to go, we should be able to go quite easily. It was a long, rambling place that show, that showroom, a gallery broken up by stands and stalls and pillars, with archways leading off to other departments, in which the queerest-looking assistants loafed and stared at one, with perplexing mirrors and curtains. So perplexing indeed were these that I was presently unable to make out the door by which we had come. The shopmen showed Gip magic trains that ran without steam or clockwork, just as you set the signals, and then some very valuable boxes of soldiers that all, that all came alive directly, he took off the lid and said, I myself, have having a very quick ear, it was a tongue twisting sound, but Gip, he has his mother's ears, got it in no time, bravo, said the shopman, putting the men back into the box unceremoniously and handing it to Gip, now, said the shopman, and in a moment, Gip had made them all alive again, you take that box, said the, asked the shopman, we'll take that box, said I, Unless you charge his full value, in which case I would need a trust magnet, dear heart, no said the shopman, swept the little men back again, shut the lid, waved the box in the air, and there it was, in brown paper, tied up and, and with Gip's full name and address on the paper. The shopman laughed at my amazement. This is a genuine magic shop, he said, the real thing, it's a little too genuine for my taste, I said again. After that, he fell to, showing Gip tricks and odd tricks and still odder the way they were done. He explained them, he turned them inside and out, and there was dear there was the dear little chap, nodding with the busy bit of a head in the sagest manner. I did not as I did not attend as well as I might. Hey Presto, said the magic shop man. And then there there would come the clear small Hey Presto of the boy. But it was distracted by other things. But I was distracted by other things. I was being borne in upon me, just how tremendously rum this place was. It was so to speak inundated with the sense of rumness there was something a little rum about the fixtures even about the ceiling about the floor about the casually distributed chairs i had a queer feeling that whenever i wasn't looking at them straight they went askew and moved about and played a noiseless puss in the corner behind my back and the cornice had a serpentine design with masks masks altogether too expressive for proper plaster Then abruptly my attention was caught by one of the odd-looking assistants. He was some way off, and evidently unaware of my presence. I saw a sort of three-quarter length of him over a pile of toys and through an arch. And you know he was leaning against the pillar in an idle sort of way, doing the most horrid things with his features. The particular horrid thing he did was with his nose. He did it just as though he was idle and wanted to amuse himself. First of all it was a short blobby nose and then suddenly he shot it out like a telescope and then out it flew and became thinner and thinner until it was a long red flexible whip like a thing in a nightmare it was. He flourished it about and flung it forth as a fly fisher flings his line. My instant thought was that Gip mustn't see him. I turned about and there was Gip quite preoccupied with the shopman and thinking no evil they were whispering together and looking at me. Gip was standing on a little stool and... And the shopman was holding a sort of, dru- of big drum in his hand. Hide and seek, I cried Gip. You're he. And before I could do anything to prevent it, the shopman had clapped the big drum over him. I saw that was up directly. Take that off, I cried this instant. You'll frighten the boy. Take it off. The shopman with his unequal ears did so without a word and held the big, the big cylinder towards me to show its emptiness. And the little tool was vacant. In that instant, my boy had utterly disappeared. You know perhaps that sinister something that comes like a hand of the, out of the unseen you know perhaps that sinister something that comes like a hand out of the unseen and grips your heart about you know it takes your common self away and leaves you tense and deliberate neither slow nor hasty neither angry nor afraid so it was me i came up to this grinning shopman and kicked his stool aside stop this folly i said where is my boy you see," he said, still displaying the drum's interior. There is no deception. I put out my hand to grip him, and he eluded my dextr- He eluded me by a dexterous movement. I snatched again, and he turned from me and pushed open a door to escape. Stop," I said, and he laughed, receding. I leapt after him into utter darkness. Thud! Lord bless my heart! Lord bless my art! I didn't see you coming, sir. I was in Regent Street, and I had collided with a decent-looking working man. And a yard away, perhaps, and looking a little perplexed himself, was Gip. There was some sort of apology, and then Gip had turned and come to me with a bright little smile, as though for a moment he had missed me, and he was carrying four parcels in his arms. He secured immediate possession of my finger. For the second I was rather at a loss, I stared round to behold the door of the magic shop, and behold, it was not there. There was no door, no shop, nothing only the common pilaster between the shop where they sell pictures in the window with the chicks. I did the only thing possible in that mental tumult. I walked straight to the curbstone and held up my umbrella for a cab. Ansome, said Gip in a note of culminating exultation. I helped him in, recalled my address with an effort, and got in also. Something unusual proclaimed itself in my tailcoat pocket, and I felt and discovered a glass ball. With a petulant expression I flung it into the street. Gip said nothing, for a space neither of us spoke, Dada said Gip at last, that was a proper shop, I came round with that, to the problem, of just how the whole thing had seemed to him, he looked completely undamaged so far, good, he was neither scared nor unhinged, and he was simply tremendously satisfied with this afternoon's entertainment, and there in his arms were the four parcels, confounded, what would be in them, um I said, Little boys can't go to shops like that every day. He received this with his usual stoicism, and for a moment I was sorry. I was his father and not his mother, so couldn't suddenly their quorum publico, and our handsome kiss him, after all. I thought this thing wasn't so very bad, but it was only when we opened the parcels that I began to be reassured. Three of them contained boxes of soldiers, quite ordinary lead soldiers, but of so good a quality as to make Gip altogether forget that the... U- THAT ORIGINALLY THESE PARCELS HAD BEEN MAGIC TRICKS, OR OF THE ONLY GENUINE SORT, AND THE FOURTH CONTAINED A KITTEN, A LITTLE LIVING WHITE KITTEN IN EXCELLENT HEALTH AND APPETITE AND TEMPER. I SAW THIS UNPACKING WITH A SORT OF PROVISIONAL RELIEF. I HUNG ABOUT IN THE NURSERY FOR QUITE AN UNCONSCIONABLE TIME. THAT HAPPENED SIX MONTHS AGO, AND NOW I AM BEGINNING TO BELIEVE IT IS ALL RIGHT. THE KITTEN HAD ONLY THE MAGIC NATURAL TO ALL KITTENS, AND THE SOLDIERS SEEM AS STEADY AS COMPANY, AS ANY COLONEL COULD DESIRE. And, Gip, the intelligent parent will understand that I have to go cautiously with Gip. But when I went so far as this one day, I said, How would you like your soldiers to come alive, Gip, and march about by themselves? "Mind do, said Gip. I just have to say a word I know before I open the lid, and then they march about alone. Oh, quiet, dada, I shouldn't like them if they didn't do that. I displayed no unbecoming surprise, and since then I have taken occasion to drop in upon him once or twice unannounced when the soldiers were about but so far i had never discovered them performing anything like a magical manner it's so difficult to tell there was also a question of finances i have an incurable habit of paying bills i've been up and down regent street several times looking for that shop i'm inclined to think that in that matter honor is satisfied and that since Gipp's name and address are known to them i may very well leave it to these people whoever they may be, to to send in their bill in their own time. The little town straggling up the hill was bright with colored Christmas lights, but George Pratt did not see them. He was leaning over the railing of the iron bridge, staring down moodily at the black water. The current eddied and swirled like liquid glass, occasionally a bit of ice detached from the shore would go gliding downstream, to be swallowed up in the shadows under the bridge, the water looked paralyzingly cold, George wondered how long a man could stay alive in, the glassy blackness had a strange hypnotic effect on him. he leaned still farther over the railing, I wouldn't do that if I were a quiet voice beside you, said. George turned resentfully to a little man he had never seen before. He was stout, well past middle age, and his round cheeks pink in the winter air, as though they had just been shaved. Wouldn't do what? George asked, sullenly what you were thinking of doing how do you know what i was thinking oh we make it our business to know a lot of the stranger said easily george wondered what the man's business he was a most unremarkable little person the sort you would pass on a crowd and never notice unless you saw his bright blue eyes that is. you couldn't forget them for they were the kindest sharpest eyes you ever saw nothing else about him was noteworthy he wore a moth-eaten old fur cap and a shabby overcoat that was stretched tightly across his paunchy belly He was carrying a small black satchel. It wasn't a doctor's bag, too large for that, and not the right shape. It was a salesman's sample kit. George decided distastefully that the fellow was probably some sort of peddler, the kind who would go around poking his sharp little nose into other people's affairs. Looks like snow, doesn't it? the stranger said, glancing up appraisingly at the overcast sky. It'll be nice to have a white Christmas. They're getting scarce these days. So are a lot of things. He turned to face George squarely. You all right now? Of course I'm all right. What made you think I was? George fell silent. For the stranger's quiet gaze, the little man shook his head. You know you shouldn't think of such things. And on Christmas Eve of all time, you gotta consider Mary and your mother too. George opened his mouth to ask how the stranger could know his wife's name but the fellow anticipated him. Don't ask me how I know such things. It's my business to know. That's why I came along this way tonight. Luckily, I did too. He glanced down at the dark water and shuddered. Well, if you know so much about me, George said, give me just one good reason why I should be alive. The little man made a queer chuckling sound. Come, come, it can't be that bad. You've got your job at the bank and Mary and the kids. You're healthy and young and and sick of everything, George cried. I'm stuck here in this mud hole for life The same dull work, day after day Other men are leading exciting lives But I, well I'm just a small-town bank clerk that even the army didn't want. I never did anything really useful or interesting, and it looks as if I never will. I might as just as well be dead. I might better be dead. Sometimes I wish I were. In fact, I wish I'd never been born. The little man stood looking at him in the growing darkness. What was that you said? He asked softly. I said I wish I'd never been born, George repeated firmly. And I mean it, too. The stranger's pink cheek glowed with excitement. Why, that's wonderful. You've solved everything. I was afraid you were going to give me some trouble. But now you've got the solution yourself. You'd wish you'd never been born? All right, okay. You haven't. What do you mean, George growled? You haven't been born, just that. No one here knows you? You have no responsibilities, no job, no wife, no children? Why, you haven't even a mother. "'You couldn't have, of course. "'All of your troubles are over. "'Your wish has been granted officially.' "'Nuts,' George snorted and turned away. "'The stranger ran after him and caught him by the arm. "'You'd better take this with you,' he said, holding out his satchel. "'It'll open a lot of doors that might otherwise be slammed in your face.' "'What doors In whose face?' George scoffed. "'I know everybody in this town. "'And besides, I'd like to see anybody slam a door in my face.' "'Yes, I know the little man,' said patiently.' but take this anyway, it can't do any harm, and it may help, he opened the satchel and displayed a number of brushes, you'd be surprised how useful these brushes can be as introduction, especially the free one, these I mean, he hauled out a plain little hairbrush, I'll show you how to use it, he thrust the satchel into George's reluctant hand, and began, when the lady of the house comes to the door, you give her this, and then talk fast. You say, good evening, madam. I'm from the World Cleaning Company, and I want to present with you this handsome and useful brush, absolutely free, no obligation to purchase anything at all. After that, of course, it's a cinch. Now you try. You forced the brush into George's hand, George promptly dropped the brush into the satchel and fumbled with the catch, finally closing with an angry snap. Here, he said, and then stopped abruptly, for there was no one in sight. The little stranger must have slipped away in the bushes growing along the river bank, George thought. He certainly wasn't going to play hide-and-seek with them. It was nearly dark and getting colder every minute. He shivered and turned up his coat collar. The street lights had been turned on, and Christmas candles in the windows glowed soft. The little town looked remarkably cheerful. After all, the place you grew up in was the one spot on earth where you could really feel at home. George felt a sudden burst of affection, even for the crotchety old Hank Biddle, whose house he was past. He remembered the quarrel he had had when his car had scraped a piece of bark out of hank's big maple tree george looked up at the vast spread of leafless branches towering over him in the darkness the tree must have been growing there since indian time he felt a sudden twinge of guilt for the damage he had done he had never stopped to inspect the wound for he was ordinarily afraid to have hank catch him even looking at the tree. Now he stepped out boldly into the roadway to examine the huge trunk. Hank must have repaired the scar or painted it over, for there was no sign of it. George struck a match and bent down to look more closely. He straightened up with an odd sinking feeling in his stomach. There wasn't any scar. The bark was smooth and undamaged. He remembered what the little man at the bridge had said. It was all nonsense, of course, but the non-existent scar bothered. When he reached the bank, he saw there was something wrong the building was dark and he knew he had turned the vault light on he noticed too that someone had left the window shades up he ran around to the front and there was a battered old sign fastened to the door george could just make out the word for rent or sale apply james silva realist perhaps it was some of the boy's tricks he thought wildly then he saw a pile of ancient leaves and tattered newspapers in the bank's ordinarily immaculate doorway and the windows looked as though they hadn't been washed in years a light was still burning across the street in jim silva's office george dashed over to him and tore the door open jim looked up at him from his ledge book in surprise what can i do for you young man he said in a polite voice he reserved for potential customers the bank george said breathlessly what's the matter with it the old bank building jim silva turned around and looked out the window nothing that i can see of wouldn't like to rent or buy it would you you mean it's out of business ah for a good 10 years went bust strange around these parts ain't you george sagged against the wall i was here some time ago he said weakly the bank was all right then i even knew some of the people who worked there didn't you know a feller named marty jenkins did you marty jenkins why he george was about to say that marty had never worked in the bank couldn't have in fact when they had both left school they had applied for a job there, and george had gotten it but now of course things were different he would have to be careful. No, I didn't know him, he said slowly. Not really that. Then maybe you heard how he skipped out with $50,000. That's why the bank went broke. Pretty near ruined everybody around here. Silva was looking at him sharply. I was hoping for a minute maybe you'd know where he is. I lost plenty in that crash myself. We'd like to get our hands on Marty Jenkins. Didn't he have a brother? Seems to me he had a brother named Arthur. Art? Oh sure, but he's alright. He didn't know where his brother went. It had a terrible effect on him too, took to the drink he did, it's too bad, and hard on his wife, he married a nice girl, George felt the sinking feeling in his stomach, who did he marry, he demanded hoarsely, both he and Art had courted Mary, girl named Mary Thatcher, Silva said cheerfully, she lives up on the hill just this side of the church, hey where are you going, but George had bolted out of the office, he ran past the empty bank building and turned up the hill, For a moment, he thought he was going straight to Mary. The house next to the church had been given them by her father as a wedding present. Naturally, Art Jenkins would have gotten it if he had married Mary. George wondered whether they had any children. Then he knew he couldn't face, not yet any. He decided to visit his parents and find out more about. There were candles burning in the window of the little weather-beaten house, and a Christmas wreath was hanging on the glass panel on the front door. George raised the gate latch with a loud click. A dark shape on the porch jumped up and began to growl, and it hurled itself down the steps, barking ferociously. Brownie, you old fool, stop that don't oh, you know me but the dog advanced menacingly and drove him back behind the gate porch light snapped on and george's father stepped outside to call the dog off the barking subsided to a low angry growl his father held the dog by the collar while george cautiously walked past he could see that his father did not know him is the lady of the house in he asked his father waved toward the door go on in he said cordially i'll chain this dog up she can be mean with stranger his mother, who was waiting in the hallway, obviously did not recognize. George opened his sample, grabbed the first brush that came to hand. Good evening, ma'am, he said politely. I'm from the World Cleaning Company. We're giving out a free sample brush. I thought you might like to have one. No obligation, no obligation at all. His, his voice faltered. His mother smiled at his awkwardness. I suppose you'll want to sell me something. I'm not really sure I need any. No, I'm not selling anything, he assured her. The regular salesman will be around in a few days. This is just, well, just a Christmas present from the company. How nice. You people never gave away such good brushes before. This is a special offer, he said. His father entered the hall and closed the door. Won't you come in for a while and sit down with us? His mother said. You must be tired walking so much. Thank you, ma'am. I don't mind if I do. He entered the little parlor and put his bag down. The room looked different, although he could not figure out why. I used to know this town pretty well, he used to make calm. I knew of some of the townspeople. I remembered a girl named Mary Thatcher. She married Art Jenkins there. You must know of the course, his mother said. We know Mary well. Any children, he asked casually. Two, a boy and a girl. George sighed. audibly my you must be tired Is perhaps i can get you a cup of tea no ma'am don't bother he said i'll be having supper." he looked around the little parlor trying to find out why it looked different over the mantelpiece hung a framed photo which had been taken on his kid brother harry's 16th birthday he remembered how they had gone to potter's studio photographed together there was something queer about the picture it showed only one figure harry that's your son he asked his mother's face clouded she nodded but said nothing i think i met him too George said hesitant, his name's Harry, isn't it? His mother turned away, making a strange choking noise in her throat. Her husband put his arm clumsily around her shoulder. His voice, which was always mild and gentle, suddenly became harsh. You couldn't have met him, he said. He's been dead a long while. He was drowned the day that picture was taken. George's mind flew back to the long-ago August afternoon when he and Harry had visited Potter's studio. On their way home, they had gone swimming. Harry had been seized with a cramp. He remembered he had pulled him out of the water and had thought nothing of it but suppose he hadn't been there i'm sorry he said miserably i guess i'd better go i hope you like the brush and i wish you both a very merry christmas there he had put his foot in it again wishing them a Merry Christmas when they would think of dead son. Brownie tugged fiercely at her chain as George went down the porch steps and accompanied his departure with a hostile rolling growl. He wanted desperately now to see Mary. He wasn't sure he could stand not being recognized by her, but he had to see her. The lights were on in the church and the choir was making last-minute preparations for Christmas vespers. The organ had been practicing holy night evening after evening until George had become thoroughly sick of it but now the music almost tore his heart out, he stumbled blindly up the path to his own house, the lawn was untidy and the flower bushes, he had kept carefully trimmed, were neglected, and badly sprouted. Aunt Jenkins could hardly be expected to care for such. When he knocked at the door, there was a long silence, followed by the shout of a child. Then Mary came to the door. At the sight of her, George's voice almost failed. Merry Christmas, he managed to say at last. His hand shook as he tried to open the satchel. When George entered the living room, unhappy as he was, he could not help noticing the secret grin that the too high-priced blue sofa they had quarreled over. Was there. Evidently, Mary had gone through the same thing with Art Jenkins and had won the argument with him, too. George got his satchel open. One of the brushes had a bright blue handle and very colored bristles. It was obviously a brush not intended to be given away, but George didn't care. He handed it to Mary. This would be fine for your sofa, he said. My that's a pretty brush. You're giving it away free? he nodded solemnly, special introductory offer, one way for the company to keep excess profit, share them with its friends, she stroked the sofa gently with the brush, smoothing out the velvet nap, it is a nice brush, thank you I, there was a sudden scream from the kitchen, and two small children rushed in, a little homely faced girl flung herself into her mother's arms, sobbing loudly as a boy of seven came running after her, snapping a toy pistol at her, mommy she won't die, he yelled, I shot her a hundred times, she won't die, he looked Looks just like what Art Jenkins, George thought, acts like him too, the boy suddenly turns his attention to him, who are you, he demanded belligerently, he pointed his pistol at George and pulled the trigger, you're dead, he cried, you're dead, why don't you fall down and die, there was a heavy step on the porch, the boy looked frightened and backed away, George saw a glance apprehensively at the door, Art Jenkins came in, he stood for a moment in the doorway, clinging to the knob for support, his eyes were glazed, and his face was very red. "'Who's this?' he demanded thickly. "'He's a brush salesman,' said Mary. "'He gave me this brush.' "'Brush salesman?' sneered. "'Tell him to get out of here. "'We don't want no brush.' Art hiccupped violently and lurched across the room sofa, where he sat down suddenly. "'And we don't want no brush salesman either.' George looked despairingly at Mary her eyes were begging him to go, Art had lifted his feet up on the sofa, and was sprawling out, muttering unkind things about brush sale, George went to the door, followed by Art's son, who kept snapping the pistol at him, and saying, you're dead, you're dead, perhaps the boy was right, thought when he reached the porch, maybe he was dead, or maybe this was all a bad dream, from which he might eventually awake, he wanted to find the little man on the bridge again and try to persuade him to cancel the whole deal. He hurried down the hill and broke into a run. When he neared the river, George was relieved to see the little stranger standing on the bridge. I've had enough, he gasped. Get me out of this. You gotta get me out of this. Get me out of this. You got me into this? The stranger raised his eyebrow. I got you. I like that. You were granted your wish. You got everything you asked for. You're the freest man on earth. You have no ties. You can go anywhere. Do anything. What more can you possibly possibly change me back pleaded change me back please not just for my sake for others too you don't know what a mess this town is in you don't understand i've got to get back They need me I understand right enough, the stranger said slowly. I just wanted to make sure you did. You had the greatest gift of all, conferred upon The gift of life, of being a part of this world and taking part in it. Yet you denied that gift. As the stranger spoke, the church bell high up on the hill sounded, calling the townspeople to Christmas fest. Then the downtown church bell started ringing. I've got to get back, George said desperately. You can't cut me out like this. Why, it's murder. Suicide, rather, said the stranger murmured. You brought it on yourself. However, since it's Christmas Eve, well... Anyway, close your eyes and keep listening to the bell, he sank lower. Keep listening to the bell. George did as he was told. He felt the cold, wet snow drop touch his cheek. And then another, and another. When he opened his eyes, the snow was falling fast. So fast that it obscured everything around him. The little stranger could not be seen. But then neither could anything else. The snow was so thick that George had to grope for the bridge railing. As he started towards the village, he thought he heard someone saying Merry Christmas. But the bells were drowning. all all rival sounds, so he could not be sure. When he reached Hank Biddle's house, he stopped and walked out into the roadway, peering down anxiously at the base of the big maple tree. The scar was there. Thank heaven, he touched the tree affectionately. He'd have to do something about the wound, get a tree surgeon, he'd evidently changed, he was himself, maybe it was all a dream, or perhaps he had been hypnotized by the smooth flowing black, he had heard of such things, at the corner of main and the bridge street, he almost collided with a hurrying figure, it was Jim Silva, the real estate agent, hello, Hello, George. Jim said cheerfully. Late tonight, ain't you? I should think you'd want to be home early on Christmas Eve. George drew a long breath. I just wanted to see if the bank is all. Right. I've got to make sure the vault light is on. Sure, it's on. I saw it as I went past. Let's look, huh? George said, pulling at silver sleeve. He wanted the assurance of a witness. He dragged the surprised real estate dealer around to the front of the bank where the light was gleaming through the falling snow. I told you it was on, Silva said, with some irritation. I had to make sure, George. Thanks, and Merry Christmas. And he was off like a streak, running up the hill. He was in a hurry to get home, but not in such a hurry that he couldn't stop for a moment at his parents' house, where he wrestled with brownie until the friendly old bulldog waggled all over with delight. He grasped his startled brother's hand and wrung it frantically, wishing him an almost hysterical. Merry Christmas then he dashed across the parlor to examine a certain photograph he kissed his mother joked with his father and was out of the house a few seconds later stumbling and slipping on the newly fallen snow as he ran up the hill the church was bright with light and the choir and the organ were going full tilt George flung the door to his home open and called out at the top of his voice, Mary, where are you? Mary, kids? His wife came toward him, dressed from going to church and making gestures to silence. I've just put the children to bed, she protested, but not another word could she get out of her mouth, for he smothered her with kisses and then dragged her up to the children's room, where he violated every tenet of parental behavior by madly embracing his son and daughter and waking them up thoroughly. It was not until Mary got him downstairs that he began to be coherent i thought i'd lost you. oh mary i thought i'd lost you. what's the m- the little town straggling up the hill was bright with colored christmas lights but george pratt did not see them he was leaning over the railing of the iron bridge staring down moodily at the black water the current eddied and swirled like liquid glass occasionally a bit of ice detached from the shore would go gliding downstream to be swallowed up in the sh-